Today's episode is quite literally brought to you by our patrons who made it possible for me to replace my computer that I used to produce this podcast when it died this week. So to all of our patrons, including our newest patrons, Megan, Hillary, Rebecca, Kylie, Savannah, Professor Threat, and Lauren, we literally can't thank you enough. Uh, All of our listeners literally can't thank you enough because you are the one and only reason that everyone is listening to this episode right now. Before we get started with today's episode, we have a couple of things we want to talk to you about. First off, we want to talk about our Make Harry Potter Even Gare 2020 campaign, in which we want all of your queer Harry Potter creations. Let it be merch fan vids, fanfics, links to your Instagram, Tumblr account. Uh, if you're following us on social media, we, we've been sharing links for awesome queer creators who are doing excellent Harry Potter things. Uh, you should check us out on Instagram and keep, keep it coming. Uh, we want to just be buried in queer Harry Potter transformative works created by queer people. Yeah, we're creating, basically, we're going to be making a reference library, uh, which we already are starting on Instagram. We have story highlights for the things that we have gotten a bu- like good amount of submissions for so far, uh, but there will be also that on our website. You'll be able to go in and get a list of like Etsy shops slash, you know, wherever folks are selling, um, a list of, you know... AO3 accounts where there's queer fix, Tumblr accounts, band camps for like queer Harry Potter bands, whatever it is, you will be able to find all of that. We're creating, like putting it all together in one central location so that everyone can access it. And it's going to be really dreamy, but it is a community effort. So we need you to tell us where to find the things. We, we you know, promote yourself. This is the moment to talk yourself up talk up your friends talk up strangers that you love on the internet send it our way yeah don't feel awkward about it just send us an email and we will gush over it appropriately yeah um also in a similar vein thank you to the listener who sent us information about uh harry potter trans fest which is a very cool thing that's happening on tumblr If you go to hptransfest.tumblr.com, you can find it. And they are having folks write trans Harry Potter fanfics. It is a time-sensitive thing. All works are due by March 21st. They have sensitivity readers. So if you are not trans and you want to participate, this is a great place because they have folks who have volunteered to read your works and make sure that they are good to go out into the world and that's very exciting and we encourage all of you to check it out they also accept uh fan art i saw and other types of work so you should go check it out would love for some of our listeners to be able to you know get creative with this yes and if you do it please let us know we're really excited about about all of this next up we have some new merch we have new merch we have two new stickers that are fucking awesome we have a support trans witches sticker and a hex transphobes sticker they come as a set oh 
probably should have known that. They are awesome. Um, you should definitely get some and put them on your car or your bike or your laptop or what have you. Uh, we also still have some of our Make Harry Potter Even Gayer 2020 stickers available in our shop. They are a limited run, but there are still some available. And all proceeds from those stickers goes to Trans Lifeline. So grab those while you can. Um, yeah, so I don't know how recently we've mentioned it, but we are asking folks to help us transcribe our episodes in exchange for access to Patreon content. People have been doing it. It's really rad. We're really excited about it. And you can learn more about that at thegailyprofit.com slash transcriptions. And we want to we wanna say thank you to Caridwin and to Rhiannon for your transcriptions We are just incredibly thankful to you for your hard work. And thank you to everyone who's like, ooh, that sounds exciting. I'm going to go look at it and make that happen. Review thank yous? Yeah, we have two new reviews to say thank you for. So thank you to This Game is Fun and It is Addicting. And to (laughs) Lily Basia for your iTunes reviews. We love it when you write us reviews. Uh... You know, if you listen to the last episode, you know that we're terrible at receiving compliments, but that's why writing us reviews is great because we can receive those compliments from the privacy of our own homes, shielded by a computer screen, and feel great about it without having to climb out a window, (laughs) as demonstrated in the incredible meme that one of our listeners made about our inability to accept compliments, so... Which, uh... A plus also to that person because I love Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So good good use of that crawling out of a window because of feelings. Definitely me. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I, you may have uh, sparked a thing of people making memes about us because not but one day later, someone else made a meme making fun of our inability to do geography. That's also incredible. And... Um, please everyone keep making memes about us. Like, that's the coolest fucking thing. Yeah, not a thing that we would have expected, but is delightful. Truly delightful. And uh, with that... The Gaily Prophet operates under the assumption that you have read the books. If you haven't read the books go and read them they're wonderful and then come back to us otherwise you're going to be spoiled and that's your choice in this world gay people love puns i'm dead (laughs) we have to stop this podcast this book causes satanism what is left for us to rant about there is nothing straight about plum velvet. <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when I said that. <laughs> Monocles are impractical, but hot. I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person. I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall. Let's talk about <laughs> Harry Potter. Hello, and welcome to the Gaily Prophet, a podcast where two queer IRL witches reread Harry Potter and talk about it. I am America's favorite Griffin Dandy, Lark Malachi Gray. 
and I am Griffin Dykeshortenaire, Jesse Blount, and today we are talking about Chapter 7 of Prisoner of Azkaban, The Bogart in the Wardrobe. Wait, have we decided Bogart, right? Bogart? I think it's Bogart. Bogart. Bogart? Okay. We'll figure it out. Anyway. Let's just try um... to say it differently every time we say it. (laughs) Oh, no. <laughs> Cover all of our bases. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, all right. In this chapter, Snape is back on his bullshit. Poor Neville is bullied. Malfoy knows too much about Sirius Black when Harry knows nothing. And we get more of the boys questioning Hermione's frankly boring use of time travel. We see Lupin in action as a teacher, the best any of these kids are going to get in their whole Hogwarts career. He boosts Neville's confidence, teaches the kids in a thoughtful, supportive, hands-on way, and every reader probably falls in love with him here. Absolutely. And uh, to talk about this very exciting chapter, we have a special guest in our virtual studio, uh, Madison Ford, host of the Beyond the Veil podcast. Welcome to The Gaily Prophet. Thank you guys for having me. Um, Do you want to tell us and our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, So like Lark said, I host the Beyond the Veil podcast, which is uh, kind of about the intersection of Harry Potter and mental health. Um, Besides Harry Potter things, um, I do do some other things, although I mostly am working on Harry Potter things in my life. I live in Portland and like to hike and play with my dog and play video games. And yeah, pretty basic, lovely existence here in the Pacific Northwest. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, So we ask everyone who comes on the show what their Hogwarts house is. And I believe you're wearing a Gryffindor hat. So do we have a fellow Gryffindor? Yes, I I wish I had an awesome Gryffindor nickname like y'all. I'll have to think of one. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, Gryffindor always have been and probably always will be. So... (laughs) Awesome. And then the last thing we will ask you is what your Patronus is and how it intersects with your most deeply held identities. Yes. So my Patronus is an Osprey. Um, It's one I, I mean, Pottermore has it, but I like specifically like went through the, I found out how to cheat to get it because I knew it was that. (laughs) Um, And an osprey is a bird of prey that dies into dives into water to get uh, fish, and that's always felt that's such a like feels really dangerous, right? You know, like well, the osprey's got to go underwater and thrash against the current and find a way to survive just to sustain themselves, and that feels very true to a lot of my life experiences, where uh, you know I've had a lot of you know, have had some childhood trauma and experiences like that. So there's always been this just kind of fighting against the elements feeling. Um, But then coming back up, emerging victorious with the fish or the, (laughs) you know, whatever it is, the jewel, the prize, and then having the courage to go back down again and do it again and over and over. And sometimes that's what the, my podcast feels like going back in with other people to dive into that water. So yeah, that's that feels very true to how I see myself in that inner strength so that's a great answer that's awesome yeah (laughs) 
So we are going to get into this episode by starting off with today's headlines. Rumors abound after Harry Potter was caught skinning Draco Malfoy's shrivel fig in public. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Um, Which I just like... We're going to start the front page there. So we turn to the front page where we talk about all the things that don't belong in other sections of the newspaper. Remember that one time that J.K. Rowling like straight up wrote dreary slash fic into the text? I, my book is a hot fucking mess where this scene is. It like says dreary really big across the top. I'm just going to, I just need to read it. Potter. You can skin Malfoy's shrivel fig, said Snape, giving Harry the look of loathing he always reserved just for him. Harry took Malfoy's shrivel fig as Ron began trying to repair the damage to the roots he now had to use. Harry skinned the shrivel fig as fast as he could and flung it back across the table at Malfoy without speaking. Malfoy was smirking more broadly than ever. (laughs) Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then there's like... A page later, Harry says, what Malfoy needs something else skinned? Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) It's just too much for me. I just... (laughs) So, anyway, if anyone wants to, like, illustrate that, that'd be great. We will uh, do something wonderful with it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Yeah, wow. So, (laughs) I I mean, I know no one can, can top that, but if one of you has a front page you can feel free to go next <laughs> i feel like uh i guess i'm gonna i'm gonna try to top that maybe <laughs> unsuccessfully which is this chapter totally should have been called the bogart the witch in the wardrobe just saying <gasps> oh that's true <laughs> that's very true i mean maybe for obvious reasons not but that was literally the first thing that came to my mind mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and perfect Mine is definitely doesn't top it, but it's I really, really would love a sink with a gargoyle mouth where the water comes out of the gargoyle mouth. That's I really found myself wanting that after reading this. It's so extra. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, I was like reading it. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I feel like. I feel like in uh, the digital age, that's probably something that we can make happen for you. Oh, yeah. 3D print it somewhere. Oh, my God. Yeah, clearly. (laughs) That would definitely be the most affordable option. You know, they have like, I don't know if people who haven't hung out with kids as much as I have are aware of this. There's like things that are to make it so that if your kid hits like their head on the bathtub spigot, it doesn't hurt, but they're all like animal shaped. So there's like ducks and lizards and whatever and it's just like a, a rubber silicone thing that fits over the bathtub spigot so i feel like that means that there is already the technology in place for you to have sort of a retrofitted gargoyle mouth at least bathtub mm-hmm. situation so definitely worth investigating definitely yeah i, w- I want that i want that for your life I feel. yeah <laughs> <laughs> like just like a chemistry lab like that's how i always see the potions classroom and then that they have this like masonry gargoyle just spewing water i don't know it 
there are so many things that are described in the, the books that I think just need to happen in real life as far as the amazing gothic magical decor goes. So I feel like that that detail also makes it so that we under I mean, besides the fact that like Snape is very extra and would insist on being in the dungeons anyway, but like it doesn't make sense to have like a chemistry class in a windowless room. Yeah. That's really bad planning. And this is like, oh, of course Snape insists on being in the room with the gargoyle sinks, right? <laughs> like, that's the whole reason they're down there. Yeah, definitely some other Slytherin like potions perfectures, like, oh no, we need it to be gargoyles for the for the the sink mouths. The spigot mouths. Yeah. Totally. It's not a oh. snake, so it's very impressive if someone's like, at least let's cut down the snake part. <laughs> yeah. it'll, be a, it'll be a gargoyle. Yeah. Don't some of the potions have to sit beneath moonlight? So they would have to take the potions from the dungeons into wherever they could find them or find windows. So that's extra work. That's true. They're heavy ass pewter fucking cauldrons. <sighs> Darn Snape. Maybe you can like levitate them out. I don't know. <laughs> uh, just so my next one is just that we have more very good uh, time turner weaving into the text happening here. It's just, yeah, it's really after going through the first two books that are just like so full of gaping plot holes, the mastery of the way that this plot line is being laid is such a breath of fresh air honestly it just makes me really happy (laughs) yeah and i feel like even like as a when i was first reading the series this book is definitely the level up when it's like oh this is getting like for real actually good (laughs) definitely agree there's something about it's interesting because you can see a lot of complaints about the time turner, like if you're reading online, but in, in time travel in general and how does it work, but it's as far as the plot goes, it is so perfectly laid out where, you know, Hermione bustling from class to class and uh it's it's really seamless as long as you are okay with whatever time travel mechanics are being used in the series. And I think we just have to I'm of the mind that you just have to accept it if it's time travel, because (laughs) how does it work? I don't know. (laughs) So I think actually this is going to come out in uh, January, as is our uh, Patreon episode of the editor's cut about time travel. So it's very fitting. Yes. Um, If anybody wants to hear Jesse and I talk for like an hour hour and a half about our thoughts and feelings about time travel uh, Which, that's available on patreon it like could have been longer i like wasn't as prepared as i could have been for that conversation Same. so like <laughs> i've thought of like 75 points that i meant to make since we recorded it so we might have to make a part two yeah i was like i should have came with my references so that we could have like anyway yeah maybe at the end of the book when we talk when we talk about the time travel mechanics of the time turner uh is it my turn it is so I have a question, which is, do we think that Malfoy is actually still injured or is he just being a complete drama queen? He is not injured. No. Okay. Yeah. But <laughs> I want to, I want to bring up the point that like, cause it, it seems weird that everyone's still buying it. If it's like 
pretty common knowledge that like you can basically heal a flush wound in like two seconds who is buying it i mean quote buying it in quotation marks which is the slytherin's fucking letting malfoy just you know moan in pain and they're like i guess we're accommodating you now I mean, I think Snape also is really into it, slash also really wants Hagrid to get fired. Mm -hmm. I don't think the other teachers are buying it, but I do think the other teachers are scared of Malfoy's dad. Yeah. He's still a school governor at this point, so it's all... No, he was sacked in the last book. Oh, that's right. I do have a point for that later, Um, but yes. But But my other thing I was thinking about it is, I mean... Animal claws are also notoriously, like, gross and full of weird bacteria and stuff. And I'm like, if you were actually attacked by a hippogriff, that might be a kind of a gross wound. Yeah, but, like, Madam Humphrey can, like, regrow your bones overnight. Like, there is... Malfoy is not hurt anymore. (laughs) It's just, like, of all the things that could happen to children at Hogwarts, like, that is not one that took more than half a second to fix. That's fair. They don't have any, I don't think hippogriffs have like magical properties the same way that like a dragon bite would or something. There's no extra venom or poison or anything like that. Yeah. I have a basic shout out to all of the squeamish kids in potions class who are chopping up caterpillars and rats and all this nasty stuff. I can't imagine I had to sit out uh, like dissecting frogs in school. So So. having to just sit there and take apart beetles. So just acknowledging that that must really suck (laughs) for those kids. This is the perfect opportunity. And I'm really sad that I can't play it for you two right now. But um, I will stick it in the episode here. We have uh, listeners who have a Harry Potter like ska band that wrote a song about being a vegan at Hogwarts <laughs> and like how terrible potions class would be. And I was like, I am going to deploy this at the perfect moment. And you have just provided us the perfect moment. So that will, that will be in the episode Yay. right now. <laughs> Mr. Potter, our new celebrity. Where, Mr. Potter, would you look if I asked you to find me a bezoar? Can you tell me what a bezoar is? Is it time for the stomach of a gun? Is there a vegan alternative? Yeah, we don't think there is. So I made a vegan bezoar in my cauldron. It is floating. I made it out of soya. A combination of mince and protein. And my portion don't work quite the same. But I'd rather that than any animals be in pain Why can't more potions be suitable for vegans? You know it don't have to be that way Why can't more potions be suitable for vegans? You know it don't have to be that way Can you tell me what the frog's legs do? Should we just leave them out? I think that's a pretty good shot. So replace them with a unicorn. It's a vegan-friendly meat-free horn, and it must have had some magic in, because a potion really started bubbling, and a potion worked better than all the rest. No animals hurt in our potions, says. Yes! Why can't more potions be simple for vegans? 
it's great. Uh, we're all very happy that we just listened to it, I promise. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, my front page is really short, so this is my last one, which is uh, just sort of our chronic Ron being a dick to Hermione watch at the end of this chapter. Fuck off, Ron. <laughs> it's so... His relationship with her is so frustrating because there's that you feel the like, wait, isn't there something's going on with her, right? But he's still such an ass the whole time instead of just being like, can you tell me what's wrong? Like, I feel like something's going on with you, but Ron's not going to communicate like that, especially not as a 12, 13 year old kid. So it's just sad. There's so many opportunities for good, healthy communication and Ron never takes them. <laughs> so. Yeah, but he takes every opportunity to like dig at her. Yeah. So I think the line that I'm thinking of is like suggesting that her bogart would be a piece of homework that got a nine out of 10. Mm-hmm. And it's like, which is like a serious insecurity for Hermione. Like a piece of homework that got a nine out of 10 would legitimately like ruin her entire day. Yeah. And so that you know, quote unquote joke, as light as it might sound, is actually very cruel. I just always have Luna like in my ear calling Ron mean in book <laughs> five, whenever it is that that happens. I think it is book five. Speaking, speaking truths that we all need to hear. That is what Luna is good for. Yeah. What was Sirius doing when he got spotted somewhere near Hogwarts as a human? Like, is he stealing clothes? Did he, like, comically steal a pie out of a windowsill? Like, what were what were you <laughs> <That> doing? <laughs> well, he was in a muggle area. A, a muggle spotted him, yeah. So maybe he just, like, didn't think that he needed to be a dog at that moment because he wasn't, like, around mm-hmm. witches. He maybe didn't know that they had, like, put out the all-points bulletin to the muggles. That's fair. That would be an understandable thing to be like, muggles don't know who I am. Right. Am I making this up or was at some point was he trying to intentionally be seen? Maybe was that when he was showing himself as a dog to Harry back in Privet Drive or not sure. I feel like I heard that somewhere, but I don't know if it's true. I so I think that the line of him saying like he let some muggles see him is actually after the end of this book when he's on the run. And mm-hmm. so he, like, go, you know, presumably apparates or whatever somewhere that's away from where he's going to go hide right. and, like, let someone see him and then goes elsewhere. That makes Does that sense. sound right? Yeah, that makes sense. As, uh, I'm nowhere near Hogwarts and, yeah. That... Right. Uh, all right. And then the last point is straight up uh, Madame Longbottom's stuff vulture witch hat is awesome <laughs> and goth and I need it <laughs> because... <laughs> What? <laughs> See, this is why the one that you texted me yesterday wasn't good enough for you. You need one with a taxidermy bird on it. I would definitely wear a witch hat with a taxidermy bird on it. Yeah, it's just it's just so goth that she, she's probably had it for like forty years, and I'm like, I love you. Yeah, I don't actually because you suck, but your hat is amazing. Yeah, you could like. I mean, how many times have we loved someone's aesthetic without loving? the person on this show it's uh but can we just vultures are so big 
yeah. and so heavy. Is there like a <laughs> charm on this hat to make it not, you know? Well, you know, when you text me a thing, you take out all the inside bits. So if whatever it's stuffed with, whatever sure. magical taxidermy looks like, I don't know. Uh, it's probably not that heavy. But yeah, it has, but like vultures are like, they're big birds. <laughs> yeah. Even like a small vulture. I guess I don't know what the smallest vulture is, but in general, they're pretty big birds. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something that is worn often enough to be like a, what does your grandmother wear? This, this is worn like semi-frequently. <laughs> That's her going out look. I was thinking about that. I was like, <laughs> Neville's gran is like a cartoon character. Like she opens her closet and it's all like ankle length green dresses and like fox fur coats. Like she just only wears the one thing. Yep. Welcome to the education section where we talk about this goddamn school but also sometimes we do new teacher profiles like today where we're going to be talking about remus j lupin new defense against the dark arts teacher first competent teacher we have seen at hogwarts and like like i said in the summary i would argue one of the few competent teachers any of these kids get in the entirety of their school career which is a tragedy just him and fake moody i think yeah which yeah. is really fucked up. But like, okay, but even like, I feel like even in general, outside of just like the rotating cast of Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, it's like McGonagall and Sprout and... Oh, Sprout's uh, a, a legit teacher. Mm-hmm. And then, oh my God, I'm blanking out on his name. Who teaches charms? Flitwick. Flitwick. Those three seem to be very consistent teachers. So you have five competent teachers and then a variety of... <laughs> I disagree about McGonagall. I think because that she does her... I think that she she conducts her class backwards. Like, they attempt to do a thing and then they go read about the thing is, like, not mm. how you teach. That's, like, they need to have, like, lecture and then practical. And there is never lecture. I do agree that Sprout and Flitwick seem to be good teachers and grubbly plank and grubbly plank yes that is still a low amount of teachers so low for being in this school for seven years yeah it's like how do any of these kids function in (laughs) in witching society with this level of education i mean but do they point that's a good point anyway yes that's definitely top number one defense against the dark arts teacher ever so yeah i mean so many so i mean whatever jump in whenever i just have like a list of things that i love about his teaching style starting Mm. with the fact that he learned everyone's names before the first day of class like no one has ever done that before great Mm. job lupin it was a really distinct moment in the text too. Reading back, it was like, "How do you know Parvati's name already? Have you just taken the time because you're thoughtful and kind and okay, not used to this in Hogwarts?" But yeah, I think uh, I think the episode where we talked about it hasn't come out yet, so you wouldn't have heard it. But when we first meet him, we noticed that his suitcase that's marked professor rj lupin is um old and battered and the letters are peeling which means that despite the fact that he has never been a professor before he has been carrying around something that says he's a professor for many years 
which is like so tragic but also it's like this is his dream of course he was like i'm memorizing every student in this school's name like i got a yearbook i know i'm gonna do this right ow (laughs) (laughs) oh man such a i wrote it what a because with the first lesson of the day, like first time we meet, okay, we're going to have a lesson on Boggarts. Now everyone think about your deepest, darkest fear. <laughs> and we're going to talk about this as a class. And what a, like, I mean, it feels like a risk, like as a teacher, right? Like that could go really wrong, but it, I feel like it's done in a way that actually turns out pretty well, where despite the fact that everyone's, it's like the vulnerability makes it succeed instead of puts everybody in a bad vulnerable position if that makes sense yeah uh lupin's a pisces so (laughs) i feel like and that is like exemplified in the fact that he made this choice for the first class and also makes me really excited to release our um lupin is a pisces meme come pisces season and i also want to point out is that like that is definitely like a lot for the first day Mm -hmm. but it's like it's okay because he's just so supportive and like praising of the students that you like by the time all of the kids get to the staff room and see and like seeing him defend neville against snape and you're like number one thank god someone's defending neville (laughs) thank you and then you're like you're already like oh okay like you care about the kids in a way that like most of the teachers Especially in comparison to Snape, who gives negative fucks about any of the kids. Uh, just it's, such, it's just such a like stark comparison. You're like, oh my god, Lupin, yes, thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah, and even just on like the level of like uh, his actual teaching style, this is the first time we have ever seen someone have kids A, learn about what they're about to do before doing it, and B, practice before being confronted with the actual thing that they're gonna do Mm -hmm. which is the lowest possible bar and yet we have never seen this take place before especially in a class like defense against the dark arts where it's like you should be learning like practical applications of this subject Mm -hmm. and it's just shocking it's like you let the kids think it through and you support them in learning the subject and they do really good who knew <laughs> <laughs> unheard of it reminded me a little bit of and obviously this is way far ahead but the difference in um harry's work in half-blood prince when uh snape is not teaching potions anymore it just when you have a teacher and you know, we could probably talk about Slughorn as a teacher and as a character, but without the looming bat-like presence of Snape, Harry is actually able to learn from Snape himself through, you know, obviously, spoiler alert, but <laughs> through the Half-Blood Prince's writings. And just to see the few times that there is any kind of competent or, um, yeah, any any kind of competent teaching that happens and everybody is just able it's not just Hermione who excels, it's everybody. So it's just, uh, I could go on about Dumbledore and what the heck is he doing up there in the headmaster's office with everything, but... He's <laughs> building an army. 
<laughs> yep. He's like, I don't care about your teaching abilities. Are you useful to me? Yes, no. It's not how you run a school. <laughs> uh, okay, anything else about Lupin? I have, I have one more thing, which I just want to point out another sort of masterfully weaving in foreshadowing about Lupin being one of the marauders in which we see Lupin be a little shit back to Peeves Mm -hmm. and you don't and like the way people respond to Peeves beforehand has been like frustration and anger and annoyance and like Lupin's like lol Peeves fuck you (laughs) in a very like gentle and comical way and you're just like whoa dude (laughs) also why do you need a spell or a jinx to like shoot a thing into someone's nose come on with the force of a bullet like he just taught these children another way to murder each other which is quite questionable uh it's very funny but i definitely read it and was like is that a quote-unquote useful little spell to shoot things at other people with the force of a bullet? Like, Listen, if they, if they would have remembered that for whenever they're facing Death Eaters, it could have been an easy way. They, they have nose holes in the masks, probably. That's true. Do you think it only goes up a nose? Which is a great path to a brain. So You know, it's hard to tell because I can't tell if the spell is working on the actual... It's hard to say. Is it like moving an object, like moving something like the gum out of the keyhole into a nostril? Or is it like you're like directing? I don't know. What if the spell actually like makes ghosts uh, like magnetic, essentially, (laughs) like loose (laughs) objects around them go flying at them. And so it is not harmful to people. That seems like a thing that serious would have done as a kid which is like make things like stick to the ghosts yeah mm-hmm. it feels a very like a marauder's <laughs> spell i don't know if they made it or not but yeah. it feels like they could have <laughs> yeah definitely does <sighs> oh man so now i feel like i have to put in the sound clip of like my literal favorite part ever of buffy the vampire slayer which is the episode where andrew is like telling the stories of things and like rewriting all of them and He's like, it makes us super magnetic. And then Jonathan's like, but what if we're wearing belts? He's like, in my plan, we are beltless. Anyway, (laughs) I will literally just like go back and watch him say in my plan, we are beltless like 25 times on repeat (laughs) because of the delivery. I think think you should just have a recording of that for such an occasion like this. In my plan, we are beltless. Welcome to the politics section, where we talk about things that are fucked up. <laughs> Should we do all of our not Snape stuff first and then go into Snape? Sure, I literally Does... have one thing that's not about Snape, so. <laughs> I also have one thing that's not about Snape. Great, why don't you go first? Malfoy mentions about his dad talking to the School of Governors about Hagrid and Buckbeak, which is like... He literally, like, in the last book, threatened everyone's families in order to try to, you know, get Dumbledore out. Why the fuck are they still listening to him? Besides money and blood purity privilege? Blood privilege? I feel like he probably, um, 
gives like an enormous endowment mm-hmm. to Hogwarts and so is like still has a lot of pull with them even if they were like got brave enough to sack him he still is like but like technically I own like a third of the school so (laughs) (laughs) on that I was there was this moment I think it's when it's when they're chopping everything up for Malfoy and Ron and Harry are getting increasingly furious as Malfoy is taunting them and it's kind of a a frustration just I had where you have somebody who is like such a shit. Malfoy is such a shit and he and everything that he represents, especially at this point, even to them, how they can see how, you know, he is extremely prejudiced against Muggleborn people. And at this point, I just I felt this frustration for them. Like in this moment, obviously, all they want to do is just punch him in the face, right? Like someone who, who and he probably kind of deserves it a little yeah. bit. But at what point, when you are fighting somebody like that who represents and practices so much, uh, you know, ignorance and racism and at what point have you turned the tables you know at what point have you i hate to use the phrase like lowered yourself to their level but i just if at that moment i felt really frustrated like if i were in that situation i wouldn't know what to do because you have that urge to really fight someone off but you don't want to practice the things that you hate so i just i really felt that at that moment for some reason i'm not sure why i mean i think for really good reason like they're being bullied by their teacher into doing something that isn't actually necessary for someone that is bullying them like it's a pretty profound like snape draco ganging up to create a like profoundly unfair situation Mm -hmm. uh moment so (laughs) yeah and there there is no there is no, like, higher ground option, I think. Is that, like, sort of what you were getting at? Because it's not like they can, like, go to McGonagall and be like, this thing happened. And right. she'd be like, yep, that sucks. Welcome to Hogwarts, kid. <laughs> like- exactly. There's no way, there's no method for them to... Because this is one of the points that I had was, like, how far will Dumbledore let Snape go when he's, he's you know, going to kill a kid's pet? Like, it just... Where is the line? Where is the line before Dumbledore says, no, you know what, Severus? I don't care anymore. This is too messed up. I just, I don't know where that line is for Dumbledore. I don't think that line exists. (laughs) Absolutely not. Which is a reason why Dumbledore should not be in charge of children either. Like, Mm -hmm. Snape should never be around children. I think probably every adult in Snape's life can can attest to that. Mm -hmm. Dumbledore should never be in charge of anyone, let alone children. Mm -mm. And also an adult as damaged as Snape, really. Yeah. So, which uh, which doesn't absolve Snape from the fucked up shit that happens in this chapter, because this is fucked up. Yeah. Fucking quit, dude. Move to another country. Like, d- why? <laughs> just, well, just no. Like, you are abusing 13-year-old children. He sure is. It's really, and this is... Is this the worst? Well, this is the worst we've seen it, right? Like, we've never seen him like literally going to kill a student's pet before. This is no. beyond anything we've witnessed from him. 
previously. Yeah. Is it this book or the next book with the thing with Hermione's teeth? The next That's the next one. Book. Okay. Right, because she, she has to have her uh, glow up before her big date with Victor Crumb, which includes getting her teeth fixed. So. <laughs> which I'm sure her teeth were fine, but we'll get there. But it's like... Um, do we just want to like make a list of the terrible things that Snape does in this chapter besides... <laughs> Try, like, literally attempting to kill Neville's toad. Yeah. Uh, my first one is the part where he says to Hermione, I don't remember asking you to show off when she offers to help another student. It's a, I've had a teacher say that before. Like, I've been through, I've had a Snape like that before. And having that empathic moment for Hermione like the deep embarrassment and shame that you feel as a child when a teacher says that to you. Like, what? Ooh, it just makes me so mad. I don't have words for it. It's. Mm. And how he. And like. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you can keep going. Well, isn't he... Then he takes points off when she does help him. Like, it takes points away for getting the potion right. It just. How? Under what logic? And the, the, the premise of, like, you're showing off, it's like, no, literally, she would be, like, making your job easier. If you were attempting to do your job, it would include, like, helping the kid that's falling behind. So, like, if another student who's, like, already finished is, like, actually, I can help, it's like, great, then I can teach the rest of the class while you literally make my job easier like fuck <laughs> off she's not showing off she's helping you right and like good enough for Hermione for being like okay whatever fuck you Snape and continuing to help Neville yeah yeah I mean she's so. like very worried for Trevor she always has been yeah <laughs> that's oh, how that's we so meet true. her this... oh my god <laughs> 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 tears leaving that class or is there anything else that happens in the that classroom i think my other part is actually later in the so. student lounge yes yeah when he rips neville apart in front of mm-hmm. everyone and a teacher yeah the only other thing from that class that i had written down was just what a what a strange and chaotic hour this is for harry where he has draco coming in and then you know talking shit about Hagrid, Neville's getting bullied by Snape, Snape's being an asshole, Snape's being an asshole to Hermione, and then someone mentions that Sirius has been found out, just the the absolute whirlwind of sitting through that classroom. That, that just sounds... I feel so bad for him in this moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want it to be like James, cool it for after the class. There's so much going on already. We don't need this. Read the room, Seamus. <laughs> Yeah. Jesse, why don't you um why don't you kick us off with this Snape in the Teacher's Lounge thing? Uh so my thing is actually after Snape leaves, so I don't know if you if any of y'all want to talk about him being the worst still. I don't think I have. It's it's not I was more curious about this moment where would Snape have said that and we've never had this like experience where we see Snape bullying Neville in front of another teacher before. 
Is that just because they have this personal relationship that Snape doesn't have with any of the other teachers because he didn't go to school and interact with the, you know, like, because Lupin's one of the marauders. So is that some kind of, I don't know. I know that he doesn't like Lupin, but is there still a special relationship there because of their past and their history? I do. I did feel like it did seem like a strange choice to say all that to Lupin. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, Like, what did you think was going to happen? Yeah. I feel, honestly, like he would say it to almost any of the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers. It's like, as long as they're not, there's no established relationship where he, like, knows how they would react. And also they're, you know, always sort of at, they're, they're on the least solid footing of any of the teachers Mm -hmm. and so even if they're like wow that was super fucked up like that new teacher is like is this just the way that things are like how do i who would i report this to like what steps do i have to take and that's a really uncomfortable place to be in a new workplace and so i think snape feels a sense of safety in being able to do this to Neville because Lupin is new. And also, I, and I think there's the added benefit with Lupin of like, if he goes to Dumbledore about what Snape said, it will look like he's just being shitty about this person that he hated in high school. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the only time I can think of anything similar, I guess, was during Chamber of Secrets when he says something like, you know, uh, don't, no, no, don't have Ron do it. Or I don't remember if he says it about Ron or Neville, but during the dueling club, when he's talking to Lockhart about like, oh no, we can't have him dueling against him because then we'll have to send them back what's left of him in a matchbox or something like that. I think that is Neville. Again. Which also is like, you know, Harry is so insistent throughout the entire series that Snape singles him out above all other students. And it is like, my dude that is so far from true like look at what he is doing to poor sweet tender neville like it is it just it just hurts so much to read their exchanges that neville that snape is his worst fear his worst fear which is like there is so many things that could be Neville's worst fear, <laughs> yeah. like justifiably things that could be his worst fear. And that it is Snape is just the most fucked thing. It's like top three fucked things this entire book, honestly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, we're just saying a lot. A lot of things happen in this book that are awful. But yeah. like, that is like the third most fucked thing that happens in this book. Yeah, you're right. I do have a little, like, uh, a side sad face for the fact that uh, Neville's response when Lupin is like, what does your grandmother wear? And he's like, I don't want the Bogart to be her either. Like, that level of 
when it could be it could very well have been a right his it, exactly like he that the fact that he carries that much fear of like his only caretaker is also just like you know give neville a basket of kittens as we say <laughs> yeah i feel like if it would have actually been his grandmother like the thing with snape is like it's humorous i'm in finger quotation marks is i actually would think i feel very actually a lot of feelings about that but like if it was his grandma that would be just so like more tragic and such a deeper fear that it's like how there's not there's nothing there's no nothing in place to like help neville with that pain and like hurt yeah and it's just like oh <laughs> poor neville yep uh, I just want to hug him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this is political, but I had one more thing that happened where it's written in as just a almost a throwaway line where they're all watching to see is is Trevor going to die from drinking this potion. It's like all the Gryffindors looked nervous and all of the Slytherins looked excited. And I do not accept that all of the Slytherins were sitting there just like you know, excited, you know, ha ha ha, is this animal going to die? I just, I do not accept that at all. It, there is no way that every single person in Slytherin house was like, that not all of them would feel the same way about Snape. I just, I fundamentally disagree and know that it's kind of told from Harry's perspective, but I just, I disagree with it and think that it's written wrong. <laughs> Yeah, I think we talk a decent amount about the distinction between, like, what it would mean to be in Slytherin IRL versus, Mm -hmm. like, what we get written in the books, which is so narrow and across the whole series, right? And it's one of those things, like, so many things that J.K. Rowling decided to, like, try to make up for with, like, Cursed Child, where she was like, oh, it's, like, Slytherins are fine, see? Like, I'll sort this kid into Slytherin. But it's like, no, you literally wrote zero Slytherins staying for the final battle of Hogwarts. Like, you can't go back from that. You you did that. It's done. Um, So I feel like we... I don't know, Jesse, we like we read it as like, okay, we just accept the way that the Slytherins are in the book and the things like this, where it's like, okay, fine, that's what happened, but also like that's you know, just garbage also. Like that's not really how that works. Yeah. I, I what I what I actually think is in this specific scene is that I think that it is correct that like not all the Slytherins present really want to see Snape kill some other kids like pet. <laughs> But I think that I feel like in the years of the Slytherin house, especially in like Harry's grade, I feel like you kind of have to go along with this Mm. or else, you know, whatever sort of bullshit and fighting hierarchy happens in the Slytherin house, you would be at the bottom, which I 100%, which I believe that none of them want. Definitely none of the Slytherins want to be at the bottom of the Slytherin hierarchy. Like I'm sure Blaze doesn't give a fuck about this. But he doesn't want to be the only person not standing around, at least looking somewhat interested. He's probably rolling his eyes at someone else in the class, but Harry's not paying attention to that. Right. right. So, like, he's not going to see Blaze just being like, oh, again, can we just stop with the bullying? I'm trying to learn. Jesus. So. Yeah. No, that sounds right. Yeah. 
So, and I'm, and I, and I think that's even a way to sort of, I mean, in no way do I want to be generous to JKR, but I think if you would think about it realistically, that I think probably the level of like peer pressure and like conformity that you'd have to be in Slytherin is that even if you want to stay for the final battle, it's probably so ingrained for you to be like, I got to do what the other Slytherins are doing or else I can't get a job when I graduate or I'm going to find someone poisoned my juice at lunch or whatever the fuck shit happens in Slytherin. Then I think they would just like, you just leave anyway because you're like, well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there's not much dissension in Slytherin. Like we don't ever see really any Slytherins. We don't see the one weird like Luna S Slytherin, yeah. you know, there probably is, but we just don't see it, which could be, of course, Harry's very narrow minded view of the Slytherins, but it could just be that they basically close ranks about, you know, what they want people to see the Slytherin house as like a unified group of, I mean, at this point fascists, unfortunately, but mm. yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. I like the nuance there that allows you to read the text without bashing your head against the wall the whole day, but still, you know, uh, it acknowledges where the issues may be. Yeah, I like that. I mean, there's still a ton of, like, racist bullies and, and yeah. Slytherin, unfortunately. <laughs> but, I don't know. It's I think it, I think it just will be hard to not be that and sort of into Slytherin. Mm-hmm. Which is why the house system is fucked up. Anyway, that's what it all goes back to. <laughs> All right. Uh, Is there anything else in politics? I had one about um, it's it's about Lupin and how he comes into the classroom and Harry notices that he looks much healthier than last time, which partially probably has to do with the lunar cycle a little bit. But he he says it like like he's had a few square meals since he gets into Hogwarts and. Just how tragic it is that, well, first of all, that Harry's in this perspective that he can recognize, oh, Lupin hasn't eaten. He needs to eat. That he, as a young child, has had that experience enough to relate to it. And then that, you know, Lupin's experience as a werewolf in society means that there probably are times when it's hard to get a meal and just that that's sad and fucked up and terrible and... I wish that we got to see a world, a wizarding world where werewolves would stop facing that kind of experience in their day-to-day life and prejudice. Sad and poopy. Yeah, <laughs> it sure is. I wonder if, though, if that is another way that Harry considers Lupin to be a safe person to go to about his feelings mm-hmm. is being like, I recognize something about your situation which feels familiar to me. So therefore, there's already this level of, I don't want to say like trust, but sort of like like seeking like, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess I just don't know how I feel about this chapter sort of like making Neville's fear of Snape humorous by like putting him in this idea of like his grandmother's clothes. From from like a like a homophobic perspective, is a like... little bit. It's like it's like a it feels a little homophobic, but like not like I don't know, but not enough where it's just like 
I feel, I guess, in my mind, I would normally say yes, but I feel like because Snape is a goth, like, <laughs> anytime you take someone with, like, Snape's 100% of the time aesthetic and put him in, like, it could just as easily have been, like, the robes that, like, Ludo Bagman wears and still would have been, like, so outlandishly different from what he normally wears that it would be funny. So I think, I think in this case, it's not that. I don't know. It feels significant that the clothes are his grandmother's clothes, like that they're supposed to be something almost familiar to him so that they draw up an emotion. And it it definitely sat weird for me too. Just it's the first time I've read this in a while. So it was like, this is, you know, because it, I think there's that, that moment of a flavor where you're like, oh, this, this might lead somewhere. I don't want it to lead, but it, it, it's those two extremes, like Snape being the goth and then Neville's grandma being. Honestly, uh, also goth, but in a fully different way. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just basically a different kind. Of, I think maybe it's, and I feel like part of it is why, like, I wasn't sure is because, like, just the hat with the vulture is so ridiculous. And, like, considering that, like, everyone wears ridiculous hats in this world, but, like, the idea of, like, Snape and a funny, like, you know, taxidermied vulture, like, witch hat is just so funny and ridiculous that I'm kind of like, I don't know. I, I think maybe what made it not, makes it not feel weird to me is that Lupin was ready with this. Like, and again, Lupin's a Pisces. He's psychic as fuck. Like, he probably was, he knew. Like, he knew exactly what Neville's answer was going to be. And he had a plan in place for Neville with this. And I almost feel like maybe his intention was, like, helping Neville confront like his two worst fears at Mm. the same time, because you literally, I think could reverse this had his grand come up as. Oh no, definitely. So it, I, I think this might be like very Neville specific of just like, yeah, but you know, what if we just like mash them together and then they look real silly. (laughs) (laughs) Look how silly both of your fears are. Right. Okay. I just, I just, it, it felt weird for me not to bring that up. No, I think I'm really glad that we had this conversation. Yeah. All right. Welcome to advertisements where we ask you for money and make you laugh. Calling all lovers of hilarious queer witchy content. Do you wish that you could surround yourself in a humorous yet ruthless rainbow goth blankie and block out the rest of the world? If so, the Gaily Prophet Patreon is the place for you. Check it out at patreon.com slash thegailyprophet. Other ways you can support us are by telling your friends about us, leaving us iTunes reviews, buying our merch at thegailyprophet.com, or by making a one-time donation on our website. Next up, we have an ad for Beyond the Veil. Are you fucked up? Do you love Harry Potter? Do you enjoy hearing other fucked up people talk about Harry Potter? Of course you do. So be sure to check out Beyond the Veil, the podcast that explores the connection between Harry Potter and mental health. A great place to start would be episode 28, where you can hear your favorite fucked up Gryffindors talk about trauma, intersectionality, and why J.K. Rowling is trash. 
Check it out at MuggleNet.com, on Twitter at BeyondTheVeilMN, and on Instagram at BeyondTheVeilPod, links to all of which will be in our show notes. What an excellent ad. Yes. So good. <laughs> uh, and uh. lastly, we have our ad for this chapter. <sighs> Guys, I'm going to try so hard to pull this off in one take. <clears throat> I believe in you. You've got this. You can do it. Do you wish the witching world had therapy? What if you could get the next best thing? At Lupin and Bogart, we offer top-notch exposure therapy for only a fraction of the price of muggle counseling. Follow our tried-and-tested treatment plan to come face-to-face with your worst nightmares and walk away laughing. Call now to sign up. Participate at your own risk. Results not guaranteed. Lupin and Bogart are not responsible for any accidents, injury, or negative consequences of participation. Always ask your doctor before trying a new treatment. Oh, wait, you can't. That's really too bad. (laughs) (laughs) That was amazing. Thank you. And you got it in one take. (laughs) That was... Oh, my God. (laughs) I rehearsed a lot to be able to get through the very fast part. (laughs) Oh. It shows. Oh. Thanks. Good job. Thank you. All right, so let's go talk about Bogarts. Uh, welcome to the health and science section, where we talk about things that are loosely related to health and or science. Today's question, what the fuck is a Bogart? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, what we do know about them, they don't have bones, they can shapeshift, they're telepathic, and don't like being laughed at. (laughs) It's mortal for them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They are clearly some kind of weird psychic land cephalopod, is what I think. Yeah, I just say uh, magical land octopi. Because one crammed itself into a grandfather clock, which not a whole lot of room, necessarily. (laughs) So I always imagine them as, like, incorporeal, like, black, wispy, demon-y thing. Which, am I thinking of, like, maybe the Black Cauldron? There's some, like, cartoon scary movie where there's, like, a creepy thing that can like just turn into like a wisp of smoke that like sneaks into your space i think i know what I you're talking like about i think that's from the black cauldron but oh that's creepy i always pictured it as something in my head and, it, and it's not it's probably not like this at all i just it was so creepy i it felt like something like the babadook you know just like something scary and when you can't see it you know it's like a shadow just kind of Mm -hmm. something you can't see but it's interesting how sound like because laughter is clearly what will hurt a bogger and it makes me think how the crowing of the rooster will kill a basilisk in this strange like deadliness of sound for magical creatures i hadn't thought about that before I do want to reverse, though. Jesse. I want to accept your premise, but I want to replace it with a cuttlefish because they have <gasps> the yes. best uh, camouflage abilities in the animal kingdom. And that's, like, imagining it as, like, a creepy, slithery creature is more fun than the spooky thing that I was imagining. So <laughs> I'm, I'm saying yes to land cuttlefish, which 
makes me have the question do they have the the beak part of this <laughs> see i don't know because i picked i picked octopus because there's tons of videos and stories of octopuses squeezing their entire bodies through like the smallest spaces cuddle cuttlefish are the same i mean i guess they're they could not, still have they're not fish they're in the same family as octopi mm-hmm. but i don't see why they couldn't have beaks like what do they eat like is the bogart part protection or is it part of how they like hunt because like when it like what happens when a bogart gets you or why don't we know the answer to this most fundamental question (laughs) of why we need to fight (laughs) bogarts maybe is it like Maybe with a boggart, it's like a boggart isn't actually going to just come out and attack you and seek you out. Like most, like you think of something like a snake, like snakes aren't here to just like follow us around and kill us. But if boggarts will like, you know, if they like the dark crawl spaces and you open one up for the first time and then all of a sudden there's your worst fear. So maybe it's for situations like that where you're caught off guard, you have to know how to dispose of it, get rid of it somehow it's got to be an ethical way to get rid of a bogart without just killing it, maybe. But I don't know, though. Maybe they're pests, or we don't have enough information about them. I mean, I feel like the fact that they turn into your worst fear makes it reasonable that people are like, I would like you the fuck out of my house. <laughs> but I agree, like, maybe they can't hurt you, aside from the mental anguish that they can <laughs> inflict upon you. Right. Okay, but the fact that so one moved into Hogwarts, so they're clearly seeking people mm. out. What if they're like bed bugs or just like they just co-evolved with people to be like some kind of parasitic whatever, whatever. Like Peeves, because Peeves was created because of Hogwarts and all the magic and all the people that are there all the time. So maybe they're a similar creation that just comes when there's lots of magical people around Then you get. Wait, what did you t- say more? What about Peeves? I... From what I understand, Peeves was, like, created, was a spirit of chaos that came about because of, because Hogwarts was created. So you have all of these, like, different spells that are going on and, like, a magical building with moving staircases. And um, so Peeves was created because of all of the, he's like a cocktail of all of the weird magic leftover stuff that comes when you just have a castle full of wizards and witches. Um, I could be wrong on that, but if that is right, then maybe it would be a similar thing for Bogarts, where where there are humans and wizards and witches, then there are different kinds of spirits or poltergeist-type beings that get created as like a byproduct of excess magical energy. So if you have like enough people in a space, their like collective shared trauma will manifest in... The creation of a bogart. Which would explain why there's one at Grimald Pace in book six. Ooh, there should be like seven? 75 <laughs> bogarts at Grimald Place. <laughs> <laughs> you like can't turn a corner without running into one. I mean, there might be. They hide, what was it? Under the bed. They're literal under the bed monsters, which is fucked up that it's like, some little, like, witch kid is like, there's a monster under my bed. And it's like, oh, yeah, okay, we'll get rid of it. And it's like, wait, what? No. 
This isn't like my imagination is an actual nightmare creature, like literal nightmare creature. And it's like, uh, nothing about this world is okay. (laughs) Can we talk about like how ridiculous works? Because I feel like it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Like if, if you have a class of eight students and all of them are like making their fears funny and laughing at the bogger and it takes that long for them but like the laughter isn't what finishes it it's like lupin being more powerful than the kids doing the ridiculous spell like nothing happens to make it the moon funny Mm -hmm. it just that's what kills the bogger so like wait i thought neville had the killing blow for the or the oh if it's dead i don't mm-hmm. that's no, also a right. question it just like evaporates i don't know yeah no you're correct mm-hmm. but shouldn't it have died like a long time before because the kids are doing the spell effectively like if it's just you and a boggart and you do the ridiculous spell and you make your fear funny how long do you have to laugh at a boggart before <laughs> it dies because it seems like a long time it seems strange because how when your fear is something kind of like a little more i don't know existential like harry like a dementor or hermione who we later find out you know it's failure you know literally failure how do you <laughs> i mean i i don't i don't know how you make that funny i don't know how you laugh at that because i've tried to think a hundred times and i can't think of a way to make a dementor funny and so many of the kids in this class have very like, I'm afraid of a banshee. I'm afraid of a spider. Where are the kids who are afraid of like, I don't know, stuff that's not just a scary monster. I, that was strange to me. Yeah. And I think we're going to get more into that in editorials. Okay. Yeah. I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> no, that's okay. It happens a lot. It's <laughs> a very disorganized podcast. Yeah. I think that's all of, that's all of my questions is mostly just like I don't I don't understand a lot about Bogarts. Which I think will come up even more when when Harry is using a Bogart to learn how to mm. produce the Patronus charm. They must literally be all over Hogwarts. Cause Lupin finds one really quickly. Yeah. And he finds another one for Harry to fight <laughs> later. So They're just they're just all over all over Hogwarts. Sorry, I'm just gonna keep thinking about them as like magical bed bugs because I'm just like it's just like ugh, <laughs> have to get rid of this thing, and then it's back. Anyway, yeah, and it, it's it sounds like you know Lupin says like he asked the staff to leave that one, so they must be just like very familiar with like uh a bogart like get rid of it. They must be constantly getting rid of them. Yeah, castle is huge, and you would have to check everywhere that kids go regularly yeah for them because like imagine students coming upon a bogart unexpectedly <laughs> so thank god lupin's fucking teaching them the spell yeah <laughs> no kidding <laughs> yes oh man welcome to editorials where we rant about stuff in which we continue this conversation about Bogarts. And my first note is, this is just literally not how worst fears work. The premise that, like, 
you could be told, think of your worst fear and a way to make it funny. And you would know what the Bogart was going to turn into is like, uh, uh-uh. I don't, I don't think people like surface level necessarily know what their worst fear is. Like a kid could be like, oh, my worst fear is a banshee for like who fucking knows what reason and then the bogart comes out and it's like oh okay i'll be a banshee like i feel like for seamus it's seamus's that's a banshee right yes i think so yeah i think so like he'd be like oh it's a banshee and then the bogart would would pop out and be like surprise i'm your like estranged muggle dad screaming at your mom yeah how funny am i Work on it, kid. Figure it out. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I feel like the... Because we really only get Harry as an example of this process of what does it look like to think about what your worst fear is that that reflects anything that's even close to what that might be like. Like going through, okay, Voldemort, like that seems reasonable. Oh, wait, I don't know if that's my worst fear. And I just... I mean, I already said it a second ago, but just how I don't understand how you are. Does this just mean that some people aren't equipped to fight boggarts? You know, if your if your worst fear is a spider, well, great, like make a silly spider. But if your worst fear is a dementor, I don't I don't know how you fight against a boggart if it's if that's just what turn it, is. it into like a giant mood stabilizer. <laughs> <laughs> like that's how i would fight my bogger it's just a dementor with like its head replaced with lamictal that'd be really funny <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't think i don't think that these are these kids actual worst fears Mm-mm. i was really offended by a rat being one of them also <gasps> it's like this is a world where so many people around you have pet rats like this is no I get it. Muggles are scared of rats. Witches are not scared of rats. Yeah. Maybe it's Lavender, who we determine is probably muggle-born or something. And maybe she has a lot of anxiety about all the rats in Hogwarts. Fine. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's like... I don't know. I wonder... So obviously, like, the, the Bogart is, like, plucking something out of your mind. That is like your fear. But I wonder if it's like, okay, you have a fear of abandonment and being lonely. I can't really deal with that. But your uh, fear of snakes. I got that one. Like maybe it's just like flipping through and you're like, oh, Uh, okay, that one. Yes, rats. I can be a rat. I know what a rat is. Okay, yeah, so, like, uh, not to mention <laughs> Buffy for, like, the 75th time this episode, uh, but in in the dream sequence, Xander's Nightmare, season two, maybe? I don't remember if it's season two or if this is the one in season four, but... Not that, is it the Halloween one in season four? No, the one at the end of season four, the one that's entirely a dream sequence. Whatever, oh, yeah, there's a season, point where Xander has a dream sequence where part of his nightmare is clowns but also part of his nightmare is his dad screaming at him about him being worthless Mm. and so you know clearly xander has anxiety about both of these things and you're suggesting that the bogart would be like 
I mean, I guess your dad screaming at you is actually pretty easy to manifest. But, like, if, if one is more, like, ephemeral, then it can just be, like, well, you're also terrified of clowns. So, like. Right. Like, I mean, I both have a fear of abandonment and then also a fear of spiders. So it's, like, my bugger would probably be a giant spider, which is, ugh, you know, or something. So you're really screwed if you're bogger, like if you have a sort of like, uh, yeah, you know, something like like Molly Weasley, where all of her family dies. Like that's yes. that's very like you know, uh, that's not the same thing as being scared of a banshee. I don't think so. If you have a fear like that that can be like manifested, then you're in big trouble. If you get a bogger in front of you, make it funny, Molly. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> the worst therapy session. Like, <laughs> Also, can we just talk about how nothing that the kids make their fears more humorous except for Neville is actually humorous? Yeah. Ron's like, is worse. <laughs> it is so, it's so much worse. It's like, I, like, I, like, I know spiders' legs are creepy and they move creepy, but, like, taking the legs off is still so horrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my god. And can we, I also, like, I felt like Ron's was actually, like, correct as much as, like, Ron's anxiety about spiders is so giant and the fact that in the last book he, like, literally met the worst possible spider times 500. Like, yeah, of course his his bogger turned into fucking Aragog. Like, but taking Aragog's legs off does not make Aragog oh. funny. Well, and Giving that Aragog, fear, like five Anne Rand books, <laughs> on the other hand, hilarious. <laughs> it's just, it's just Aragog with like a libertarian sash, like a little like "Don't tread on me." <laughs> That's funny. That I would laugh at that. <laughs> that is the episode cover art for one of our for the Aragog chapter of that book. If anyone wants to look at it. That that's a really interesting example because Ron's fear of spiders originates from that awful moment where one of the twins turned his teddy bear into a spider. So there's like this, you know, it it it. I mean, because with the twins acting like that, that overlaps with Ron's fears of you know not being seen by his family and uh, you know being hurt by his family members in some ways. And I wonder if there's a a way that the Boggart can sense, like if there's something that some kind of creature that embodies that relationship, you know, that maybe, maybe all of these in this world, at least there is some kind of relationship between a Banshee and Seamus's worst fears about something more realistic to have your fears about. Maybe there's somebody in his life that is like that or a circumstance like that. And, it seems like very specific for everybody to have something like that, but maybe that's maybe in the wizarding world, that's more common. I think that makes sense. Yeah. I can imagine any number of like horrifying things that probably happen to like witching kids that it's just like a part of growing up. (laughs) Sometimes your siblings turn your teddy bears into terrible spiders. (laughs) Whoops. Yeah. I'm just so a quarter of my brain has been like trying to locate the source of like this 
quote that's been happening in my head uh and i found it so in the princess bride book where we actually get the backstories on fezzik and anigo we learn that fezzik's worst fear is being left alone forever which presumably if presented with a bogart that's like a hard thing for a bogart to manifest Mm -hmm. but Vizzini knows that that's Fezzik's worst fear and so he spends a lot of time manipulating and threatening Fezzik by telling him that he's going that he's going to leave him alone forever and that's like how he gets Fezzik to do what he wants and so I feel like a a Bogart would be able to do something like that turn into someone meaningful Mm -hmm. to that person and say I'm going to leave you alone forever, right? Or like say, no one's ever going to love you, whatever the thing is. So I don't know. I guess thinking about that like brings me back to just being like, no, like I feel like Molly Weasley shows us the most realistic thing that a Bogart would do. Yeah. And and so I just think that this is the way that we see it show up in this chapter is incorrect. Right. And and the way that it shows up for Hermione later on is much more accurate. Like you said, somebody meaningful coming in and saying you have failed for Hermione, that like that really gets it. And we should have seen more things like that probably in this chapter. Right. I was thinking that like Lupin's it's like, yeah, the moon. But honestly, wouldn't Lupin's be like a crowd of people with like silver weapons trying to murder him? Mm hmm. The moon is scary, but like his real fear is the way that other people interact with his illness. Yeah. You know, I guess I always interpreted that as like sort of like those are his real fears, but I feel like maybe a lot of it manifests in a sort of like I feel like maybe he's just like developed a lot of like animosity about like like the moon is the signal, like the it like the uh Lupin's the a symbol. Big, uh proponent of the blow up the moon. Um, <laughs> he is as the, as the symbol of everything that like is hard in his life he's like but it doesn't make him afraid it. you know what i mean like seeing the moon doesn't actually fill him with fear and that's what a bogart is trying to do is make you feel afraid and so like lupin looks at the moon and he's like god fucker you know like whatever mm. feelings he has like you make this thing happen but he doesn't he isn't afraid when he looks at the moon i mean maybe he has a fear of losing control and like that is when he I, up until the point th- that's where he's still symbolic it doesn't seeing mm. it seeing a full moon when he knows the moon isn't full doesn't make his literal fear response happen you know what i mean or presume it shouldn't i feel like someone like fenrir grayback would be like a good representation of that fear. yes absolutely have have we reached have we reached the the thing in this chapter that's not well seated for the for future revelations because if it was anything else connected with his werewolfism it would be a clear tip off that he's a werewolf right no i know and that that actually i think is like what i wrote is like this is just here to right like lay the track for the later revelation why why is lupin afraid of crystal balls Hmm. yeah why does no one recognize it as the moon like the moon is a pretty distinct looking like it has craters and shit and any hermione did she's like already 
on top of it. <laughs> she had to run to arithmetic or whatever class was next and just didn't talk about it. Yeah. Uh, I have a couple of not Bogart related things. It's just really annoying that like Malfoy knows more about Sirius Black than Harry does at this point. Our uh, ongoing call for Harry to read a fucking book. <laughs> <laughs> Though, I mean, granted, considering that like that's his cousin, he probably just knows more sort of anyway. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, like Harry, like fucking read, read a book. Something. It made me wonder because obviously, and this is a theme going on until book five, there's so much that there's so much information out there that would benefit Harry to know, but that Dumbledore does not share with Harry and, and other teachers too. You know, we know that McGonagall knows about what, at least the general story, what everyone believes happened when, uh, you know, Sirius supposedly betrayed James and Lily, but it made me wonder because it's, and it's the same question that Dumbledore has, like at what point, like would it have been useful? What, what, at what point would this information be useful for Harry? And at what point would it just be like sad and destructive? And I kind of found myself thinking that this information probably, I, I mean, I'm not a child psychologist, so I don't know, but I feel like it would have been really useful for Harry to have like already for him to know more of this is this is the what happened to you this is what happened to your family and if he had known well a lot of mistakes wouldn't have been made in this book and the other ones i just i don't know if i don't know what y'all's thoughts are do you do you think there's an appropriate age to share that information or is that just something he should know already i mean i i feel like there are 75 history books available mm-hmm. that detail exactly what happened with the fall of Voldemort. And it is baffling that Harry hasn't read those books. Yeah. Even if no one in his life decided to share it with him, he should have that information by going to the fucking library. <laughs> like, and beyond that, I think it's just a correction that Hermione, Hermione knows. Hermione knows exactly who Sirius Black is. Like, she has read all the books on Harry. Mm. She would tell him there's no chance that he wouldn't have access to this. But if that weren't the case, no, I agree with you that like he absolutely should have been told what mm. happened. And because then what happens is that he's getting information from like his enemy. He's getting information that he's overhearing. Like he's getting all this piecemeal information and it's like, he is frustrated, but it's like, also, this seems to be common knowledge, Harry. You should maybe do a little bit of investigating about what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, there probably was a, like, I do not, I, I totally believe that Rita Skeeter had a, like, five, like, special issue, 10-page expose of all the shit about Sirius Black. Like, Harry, did you just not see that? Did you just not see that paper? Oh, you mean like right now, where it's like yeah. he's escaped and this is what Rita is on that shit. Absolutely, I mean, he, <laughs> he read, right? I mean, he's he's read newspaper articles where it's like he killed thirteen people with a single curse. But like, why would those articles not include after betraying Lily and James Potter and like leading Voldemort to Harry, et cetera, et cetera, like? 
He's from a known Death Eater family. It's not like people wouldn't it, people wouldn't be super surprised probably to hear that someone from the Black family had done something like that for Voldemort. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, his brother was a yeah. Death Eater. And also, like, it looks good for, like, PR to, like, have the guy that that did that. Mm-hmm. So why would they not be, at least, like, previously not have been, like, very public about you know what he what he did that his crimes included giving up the location of the potters yeah it's yeah i think that maybe this thing about harry not knowing enough about sirius from like this early on in the books is maybe the like thing that's the weakest like we're getting crumbs throughout the book but in reality we should be getting at least a story that harry could at least getting like different kinds of information for you could be like, well, here's one story here's the official story. I just heard two different conflicting stories. What the fuck is going, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Because the, the scene in the three broomsticks still could have been a revelation that Sirius was his parents' best friend, right? He could have known everything else and still had this horrifying information be revealed to him and it still would have been meaningful. Mm-hmm. So, like, why did he have to find all of it out then? Yeah. He even has the wedding album, or the, the album that Hagrid made for him, where Sirius is in the pictures, too. It's true. So... But he looks pretty different after <laughs> yeah, a decade of torment. So. <laughs> Azkaban does that, too. Yeah, I yeah guess. It, it takes him a minute to get hot again yeah. after his escape. Yeah. <laughs> just kind of a small one and i don't know that there's really much of an answer to it but um you see kind of these like especially it came up when ron was like being so cruel about you know oh would it be a piece of homework that got a nine out of a ten and how that really probably would deeply upset hermione and it, it just made me think and how Failure is her biggest fear, right? Like, that's what it shows up as in her boggart. And I'm just... I guess I'm just curious as to why that is, if there's anything more than, you know, uh, she's a Virgo. Like, <laughs> you know, like, what <laughs> What beyond her... I guess, is there anything besides her personality and the person who she is? What What was life like with you know, the Granger dentist parents and stuff like that. It just, it makes me curious to know what could be, what her early childhood experience was like, I guess. Yeah, we've recently revised our position Mm -hmm. on this. So we were reading Hermione as coming from an abusive household Mm -hmm. until the beginning of this book. So when she meets the Dementors um, and doesn't have the kind of reaction one would expect Mm. from someone who grew up in an abusive household. Um, So that combined with the fact that we, after that episode where we were sort of naming the things that were making us read Hermione that way, we had several um, autistic listeners write in and be like, is Hermione autistic? And in talking with them and doing more research into that, we have like, revised our position on where Hermione is coming from to 
Hermione is autistic, which is like honestly a huge relief for yeah. us because we're like, cool. If we can not have Hermione have a trauma history and instead just have Hermione be neurodiverse, that's like way better. Um, we're very excited about yeah. it. And I think that, I mean, Jesse, maybe do you want to speak to how that plays into this sort of like academic prowess? Like, because I know you've done a lot of reading on it. So I think that, I feel like I don't necessarily think that all of the pressure Hermione feels uh, to succeed is from her family. I feel like a lot of it is just like her internally putting a lot of stock in her academic success as like part of who she is as a person. And I, and I think, and I think the part of it that comes from her family is like probably just growing up as a like middle-class black person in the UK and like having to, outperform her white peers in order to like get any kind of respect which I feel like she it seems didn't get as when she was in regular children's school and is only kind of getting in here at Hogwarts so I just feel like I just feel like Hermione has sort of woven her academic success into like how she feels as a person in the world and like how she kind of you know filters stuff about herself into the world as being like, all right, academic success, good as a person, you know? Yeah, and I, I think part of it is sort of, uh, this is a way that she, they call it masking, right? And like girls and people who uh, like, you know, assign female folks often, who are autistic often, um, perform masking really well so like which is basically like a way to perform a level of quote like neurotypicalness that is not authentic to like your actual brain and being really good at school is a fairly common one because it's like a way that you can be recognized by teachers and adults and like be validated that doesn't necessarily rely on like surface level social interactions that are uninteresting or uncomfortable or whatever and so if she is like basically depending on her ability to perform school to like feel like she has a place in society not doing that 100 percent, like not doing that all the way is sort of like an, an undoing of everything that she is like putting into that i don't know how well i just said that but that makes total sense that's a and that it's it's, it's strange to me on a personal level that i didn't see that as a uh, as a reading of Hermione, just I, I'm very close to a couple of neurodiverse individuals, but looking and seeing those two things together, it makes so much sense. This uh, everything that she goes through, and one of the neurodiverse folks in my life, we once got into a big debate about Trelawney, um, and it's you know it's that same place where there's this uh, uh, Hermione doesn't necessarily like the 
I don't know, the kind of maybe fuzziness that divination has. And perhaps that would be, that could be more difficult for somebody who is neurodiverse. Um, and it was, it, it felt that way in the discussion I had. So that, yeah, that I think on when y'all were on Beyond the Veil, we talked about how these different like readings and headcanons of characters add such a nuanced understanding of the text. And so now neurodiverse Hermione is my new favorite reading because that just adds so much to everything there is to her character. So I will be reading the books with a whole new perspective, which is just the best thing to have when you're going back. So, Yeah, we're also very excited about it. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like part of it is also like as someone who has ADHD, like there's a lot of things that Hermione does. I'm like, yep, I recognize that thing about trying to get validation through academic success. Not great. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out. Totally. Uh, also her like intense hyper vigilance about what's going on around mm-hmm. her, which is like really important to the text because she knows his things before anyone else does. And that's, been really key to like Harry surviving because Harry is not as observant as I would like him to be. <laughs> like Hermione's constantly evaluating everything that's going on her at all times. Yeah. Which is just a lot of information to be taking into her brain. Yeah. So. Welcome to Corrections, where we correct stuff. Uh, so there's a hotline for muggles to call the Ministry of Magic to report sightings of Sirius Black. Arthur Weasley, lover of muggle technology, works at the Ministry of Magic in a department that one would think would absolutely have a line that muggles could contact in case of, you know, specific weird emergencies. And he should know what a fucking phone is <laughs> like there's no excuse for him not knowing what a phone is if someone in the ministry was using phones arthur would be in their office like every second of every day like so excited about the fucking phone <laughs> jesse always has to counter my corrections what do you have No, 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 no. I think what I imagine is that there's like one phone and it's like in the magical law enforcement department and like, I don't know, Kingsley has it or something. (laughs) Someone in like whatever the magical law enforcement department is. Because like it is weird that there isn't a phone in like author's office and there isn't despite all the like i mean there and there doesn't seem to be any anyone anywhere else but there must be some way that like author finds out about all the weird shit that happens for his job mm-hmm. so like where is that filtering through nsa and it must be another department nsa i mean nsa but no so. for sure if kingsley had had a phone in his cubicle though like arthur would be like hey buddy <laughs> Is it wrong yet? Like, and, and, and like another, <laughs> another witch is like the only person who could actually teach Arthur Weasley how to use a phone, but for sure, like he, he would insist that that happens. Yeah. Like he specifically talks about wanting to know how phones work at some point when we meet him. Does he want to know like how to use it or like how it's, you pick up a phone and you can hear someone else's voice from like 
miles away. Fair. I guess I'm just saying that like the the fiasco with Ron calling Harry at the beginning of book t- t- this book. Yes. 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 Shouldn't have happened. Like Arthur should have been able to be like, "This is what you do." I don't. know. It's magic. Lol. Muggle magic. But like, he should have been like, "You just talk into it." No, you're right. That should that should definitely be a thing he should be familiar with. If not, when he's out in the world and someone's like, "My phone bit me on the ear" or some whatever bullshit. Right. Yeah. So hence, it's a correction. <laughs> the only universe I see where both of these things where where Arthur has access to this phone and he still gave Ron bad advice would be if he answered the phone ever and just you know screaming like I saw Sirius Black and whoever was on the other line is just screaming at him like there he's here he's here he's got a gun and yeah that's that's the only world but I uh, I don't think that that happened so I like it though it's good <laughs> Okay. Okay. Are we done? Yeah, I think so. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Gaily Prophet. Madison, can you uh, tell folks how to find you and your podcast? Yes. Um, So you can find us. We are active on social media. Uh, If you're on Instagram, that'd probably be the best way to follow us. We are at Beyond the Veil Pod. Um, we are also at Beyond the Veil Pod on Facebook and uh, Beyond the Veil MN on Twitter. You can find us on MuggleNet. We are on the little uh, Our Family tab. We don't have our own website or anything, but if you go to MuggleNet and go to where the podcasts are, you can find us. And uh, yeah, if you want to be talk about your mental health and Harry Potter, then that's the place where you should go. So thank you all for having me on. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a delight. Absolutely. Yeah, no, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks. The song that you heard in this episode is called Hufflepunks and it is by Boom Boom Raccoon. You should read all about them in the show notes for this episode and click all of the links to their various uh, social media and their band camp where you can listen to their music and, you know, give them all of the love and appreciation in the world because they are very awesome. Uh, you can find The Gaily Prophet on the internet at thegailyprophet.com. You can find us on social media at The Gaily Prophet on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash thegailyprophet. If you want to know more about me in between episodes, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at jesse underscore Detroit or on Instagram at live from Detroit. You can find me on the internet at larkmalachi.com, L-A-R-K-M-A-L-A-K-A-I.com, or on Instagram at larkmalachi, or at Radical Healer. Uh, our spoiler warning is by Sarah Sarwar. Is our music is by Kevin McLeod. And also, the uh, our logo art is by Theo Julian Forrester, who also creates excellent comics for every chapter episode, which you can see on our social media pages or on our website. Yes, and until next time. Pedagogy. Gargoyle. Taxidermy. LOL.